0: Welcome to the Ion Ryan Show, a satellite orbiting the worlds of tech,
1: toys, pro wrestling, and pop culture. Here is your host, Ion Ryan.
0: Hola, amigos, and welcome to another episode of the Ion Ryan Show. Uh, that was like the fastest fourteen days of my entire life. <laughs> uh, it's really funny. I don't even know when the episode, last episode, got uploaded. Greg and I, uh, and and really, if you heard on the podcast, I was misfiring nonstop with technology, <laughs> and uh, I was just so out of luck. So I finally record the whole thing, get it all together, uh, send it over to Greg and Greg literally couldn't download it. Like he got all these bizarre errors and I was just like, oh my gosh, this episode is cursed. <laughs> I didn't know if it was cause like, uh, I, I exported it wrong. I did the wrong compression or whatever. And it all it, it ended up working out as it turns out. Cause I talked to Sean from the last podcast and I was like, oh yeah, man. My last episode was cursed and it didn't even get uploaded. He's like, oh, no, it did. Uh, So that's why you haven't seen me post about it on my social media was because I didn't even know it got uploaded. Uh, So we are back, gang. We are at it again. Uh, Here we are on, what is it, the 4th of November. We are about a week away from the beginnings of Disney Plus, uh, which is Disney's streaming service, which you've heard us all talk about a lot at length. So uh, what I actually want to do here right now is um, I want to talk about hmm, how. what order do I want to do this in? I've got like four things I want to talk about. What are going to be the three brief things for uh, three count and what's going to be the long thing. I, I don't know. I, I I reserve the right to re-edit this whole episode. So, uh, and to reorder it depending on how long I talk about what, but these are the topics I think I'm going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about sports and, uh, the joy of winning a championship and what it means to not just the players, but the people watching it and why as a society, we're kind of enamored by that. Uh, I'm basically going to tell you my thoughts and feelings on it because I've got a memory of a championship. Uh, obviously, we just crowned a, a brand new World Series champion. And in my little world, uh, uh, there's a new champion in my life, which I'm very proud of and excited to talk about. Uh, in addition to that, I want to talk a little bit about, okay, don't kill me on this one. Uh, it's it's a taboo topic for almost everyone but we are one year away from the presidential election of 2020, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I will leave my personal views kind of out of it, but by the same token, I'm also not afraid to talk about politics with people that don't necessarily agree with me. I'm an adult, and uh, I believe in my beliefs. I'm not going to get preachy with you. Don't worry. It's it's not that kind of podcast, but if my political leanings happen to show, I'm not going to run away from that. I refuse to live in a society where I'm afraid to talk about my political beliefs in fear of losing listeners. We're, we're all grown ups here, guys. We spend a lot of time talking about nerdy stuff. Uh, uh, just bear with me. All right. We'll, 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 we'll get to that. Um, in addition to that, I want to talk about um, Disney Plus, uh, in particular The Mandalorian. I want to talk about some of the things that I want to see come out of The Mandalorian. Some do, some don'ts, some worries, uh, but overwhelmingly excited about that. And then finally, I want to talk a little bit about uh, my friends TJ Kong and the Atomic Bomb. They do the opening of this show, they do the closing of this show, and they um, I'm gonna play a couple of their songs, I think, at length for you, like like the full song, uh, and I want to talk about why I'm so enamored with their creative process. So, uh, I, like I said, I reserve the right to switch up the order. Let's get into three count.
1: It is now time for Iron Ryan's weekly three count.
0: All right, so let's get the, uh, the potentially controversial topic out of the way here first. Um, I had just loaded up my Facebook memories, and I saw that on November 4th, 2008, Barack Obama, the junior senator from the state of Illinois, uh, was, uh, he won the presidency in 2008. He won the popular vote. He won the electoral vote. Uh, four years later, he would go on to beat Mitt Romney, uh, to get a second term as president. Uh, and then four years after that, when he could no longer be president, uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton ran against Donald Trump. Uh, now in about one year from now, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do that all over again. Uh, president Trump is going to seek his second term and then. A really wild field of Democratic candidates are vying to be the uh, Democratic nominee in the general election. We're going to do that in one year or so. You're looking at the likes of Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, a lot of those people have, uh, uh, what is her name? Uh, uh, Harris, Kamala Harris. Um, uh, it's going to probably be one of those four that's running against, uh, running against Donald Trump and in uh, about 365 days, cause it's a leap year, right? Next year, election day is on the third. For those of you that don't know, election day is always the first Tuesday after the first Monday, meaning election day will never be November 1st, but it can be November 2nd if November 1st is a Monday, and number second, uh, November 2nd is a Tuesday. So, uh, it, the thing that really kind of, um, the reason I wanted to talk a little bit about this is because my interest in politics really began, uh, it, it didn't begin with Clinton. I mean, it, it did a little bit. Well, I remember being like a little kid and being like, you want to see my Ross Perot impression? And I would pull my years out real wide. I was born in 86, so... Uh, yeah, Ross Perot was a third party candidate running against, uh, Bush and, um, I guess it was a Bush and Clinton he was running against, uh, and Clinton would go on to win that election. And George Bush senior would not get a second term. Uh, he was a one-term president, you know, his, son, Clinton would be a two-term president Bush, uh, George W. Bush would be a two-term president. Obama will be a two-term president, and then again, like we said, we'll find out in about a year if Donald Trump's going to win again. Um, so yeah, I remember being a little kid and, you know, Ross Perot jokes, making fun of even like, I remember as a child knowing that Dan, Dan Quayle, who was George uh, George Bush Sr.'s vice president, I always knew that he wasn't really like the smartest guy. I think Saturday Night Live would make fun of that. So when we were kids, we'd make fun of that, and of course Clinton God. uh interesting guy for sure, Um, but his presidency obviously ended kind of in a disgraceful fashion with um, his transgressions happening in the White House. Uh, Then uh, my political identity really started to get shaped around the time of Gore and Bush, not to say that I was enthusiastic for either one of them, uh, but I remember being completely, completely captivated by the issues that surrounded Florida's uh, electoral votes. If you are too young to remember, or if you've blocked it out, or if you want to just walk with me down memory lane one more time, uh, it was almost virtually a tie between Bush and Gore. And um, there was issues in Florida regarding the validity of several ballots and I believe it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and they made a decision that ultimately gave the presidency to George W. Bush. Uh, George Bush became our president. Prior to that, he was the governor of Texas. And uh, unfortunately for George W. Bush, about eight months into his presidency, 9-11 happened and that reshaped his entire presidency. Really, a lot of the things that he probably wanted to do, a lot of the things that he promised as a candidate, it got totally derailed because all of a sudden homeland security which is not even if you remember it was shortly after 9 11 maybe the weeks or days after 9 11 that george w bush stood in front of uh america on television and he nominated i believe then governor tom ridge from right here the state of pennsylvania Uh, he made him the director of homeland security it was a new cabinet position which you know, we hadn't, we hadn't added a new cabinet position in a little while, at least in my lifetime. That's the first time I remember them adding a new cabinet position. Uh, and now we know. We all know what Homeland Security is. It's a huge thing that George W. Bush did. Uh, in addition to that, um, uh, you can't just blame Bush for this. Not blame, but uh, uh, the Patriot Act came out, right? And that was... A monumental shift in our civ- civil liberties and freedoms and privacy. Uh, things that we kind of still feel to this day. People like Edward Snowden blew the whistle on just how much we were being quote-unquote spied on. Now, of course, there's debate there that, you know, I think I'm a good person and all-around good American. And I like to think that most of you out there are probably good people. So many of us say, well, all right, if the, gov- if the government's going to listen to us, but... We're gonna stay safe. Uh, what's what's the big deal? And then there's other people out there that basically just say, "Well, we all deserve the right to privacy." Uh, ironically, you guys probably followed a link to this podcast from like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Google, and of course, the information that they track uh, brings up a lot of questions about our privacy as well. Um, I just saw a news article today. This is completely unrelated to presidential politics, but. Um, I saw a news article today about a murder that happened, and there was an Amazon Echo in the room, and the, uh, actually, believe it or not, it's the defense in the murder case is trying to um, uh, get Amazon to give them the recordings from the Amazon Alexa, which, depending on how that, oop, oh, okay, sorry, my mine just turned on, ironically, um, depending on how that turns out, that's going to be a monumental case in, uh, in terms of our civil, civil liberties. We'll get to find out exactly how much information Amazon stores on us. Uh, but that's just what I find kind of funny and interesting. And it's, it's kind of where I'm heading with this whole political thing is nine 11 happened. A lot of us never heard the words home and land and security together. Right. Um, when the Patriot act went into effect, we couldn't we couldn't believe that somebody would be listening to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, uh, and now I have six Amazon Echoes in my house that listen to everything I say. Uh, my iPhone has the ability for me to just say, hey Siri, and it wakes up and it tells me it tells me what to do, uh, it tells me whatever, the answer to whatever question I have, uh, and then I know a lot of people have like the whole, I think it's called, okay, Google Um but yeah, things change very quickly. Uh, so then, of course, it was in 2004 uh, that uh, my political world began to change even more significantly, and that was during the Democratic National Convention. They were nominating John Kerry, who it turns out is probably not a great candidate. Uh, you know, there was a whole bunch of stuff with Kerry's candidacy where people questioned the legitimate how legitimate his claims were to being a war hero uh and then john edwards who looked like mr squeaky clean was his vice presidential nominee and uh yeah it turns out john edwards is kind of a piece of crap (laughs) so he he flamed out after i found out that he was after the world found out that he was like cheating on his wife that had cancer so uh yeah john edwards not a great guy uh john kerry not a great candidate uh, but my little my little story here that all leads to my uh, flashback to 11 years ago is uh, the keynote speaker at the democratic national convention that year was the uh, freshman senator from illinois uh, senator barack obama guy who rose out of the south side of chicago and the politics there and uh, he gave a keynote speech now what's kind of funny is timing I probably would not have seen that speech, but I was living in Wildwood, New Jersey. That's a, that's a tradition for a lot of Northeast Philadelphia kids. They moved down to Wildwood, New Jersey after their senior year of high school. And we went all summer without television. We had no cable at all. We, just, um, we played Kingdom Hearts a lot. We watched Pirates of the Caribbean a lot. We watched a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies. We watched Goodfellas a lot. Um, We would play Mario Kart, but finally, uh, in the late, 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 late part of July, early August, we finally got cable. Now, I can't remember what came first, whether it was the Democratic National Convention or the Summer Olympics, but we... We, and obviously the Republican convention would happen then as well, but we watched all of those things. And as, uh, young men are known to do, we, uh, we turned them all into games, you know, every single time they clap, you know, take a drink or whatever. Um, kids don't do that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it was, uh, July 27th, 2008, Barack Obama Barack Obama gave the keynote speech, which was a resounding endorsement for John Kerry. uh, But what it really was was kind of the official kickoff of his presidential campaign. I immediately grabbed my phone and called my mom, who was calling me at about that same exact time. and, and, And I don't even remember now if it was her or I that said it. But one of us said, I think I just saw the next president of the United States. And I said, yeah, I said, if he ever runs for president, I am going to campaign for him for sure. Uh, so I kept my eyes on Barack. I, I, I looked at his, looked up his books. Um, he was an early social media adapter. So uh, right when I got on Facebook and whatnot in oh five oh four, uh, you know, I started to follow him there. And uh, eventually he ran for president in 2008. He ran against um, John McCain, who... Is uh is he's an American hero? John McCain is. I mean, there's 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 fewer men that have ever walked this planet that are uh, tougher than John McCain. Uh, that guy was was brilliant as a politician, public servant, as a soldier, as a father. Uh, he he was a really fantastic and fascinating man. Um, but I knew that me personally, I was going to drop everything I was doing, which I did. I basically dropped out of college to campaign for Obama in the primaries. Now, a lot of us forget back then in 2008 that Hillary Rodham Clinton was the odds-on favorite to be the, I was about to say, to be the WWE champion. <laughs> that's how, that's how you know, uh, I, I, talk usually about wrestling on this podcast, but, um, yeah, Hillary was the odds on favorite to be the nominee, but Barack Obama just got all the momentum on his side. And during that time, and you know, I'm never, never afraid to, to, to shy away from these types of conversations. Um, the big debate was who would America be more likely to elect a African American man or a woman? right? I mean, we had never had either one of them as president before. So either way, the Democrats were going to put someone up that, uh, just by the way that they look, mm, they might lose votes or, and this certainly was the case for both uh, Clinton in 2016, Obama in 08. Some people voted for them because of the way that they looked, right? It kind of went both ways. Hopefully those voters kind of canceled each other out and, uh, people voted on substance. Um, but yeah, that was um that was a really interesting year for me and like I said it was 11 years ago today. Uh November 4th, uh 2008 that Barack Obama became president of the United States. Uh, he did so and uh he did so against John McCain and John McCain's running mate of course was probably part of the reason that he didn't win. He had Sarah Palin and if you if you don't remember who she was, uh she was like the don't you know kind of like um, almost like there was like a stereotypical like down home kind of persona that she had. Uh, she was from Alaska, and um, yeah, I mean she was a fascinating lady with political aspirations, and maybe in a lot of ways she was a catalyst for what the Republican Party has become now. But the world was not ready for her then. Uh, she was viewed as uh, even more in, inexperienced than Barack Obama, who Barack Obama had never held an executive role. You know, he had never been a mayor or a governor, and certainly he hadn't been president. Uh, but Sarah Palin, um, yeah, people just kind of thought she was a little goofy, and Tina Fey kind of helped sink that ship a little bit with her with her impersonation of her on SNL. Uh, Sarah Palin quickly got. Got painted as a caricature of herself. I'm sure she's a relatively smart lady. I mean, you don't get that far in politics by being stupid. Uh, but the public perception of her, she just didn't wasn't able to hold up uh, to that level of scrutiny. So, yeah, Barack Obama won, and like I said, at that time, I was really happy about that. I, I felt like, wow, this is this is really <laughs> this is really amazing. You know, when you had lived in a country um, where. All politicians had looked and talked in, in in a certain way. I mean, both Bush and Clinton kind of had that Southern accent, Southern appeal kind of, you know. Um, I don't remember Reagan, but yeah, you're talking about guys from Texas and guys from Arkansas and guys that are old looking. Those were the presidents I knew, uh, you know, politics aside, just just visually, the optics were. He was an old guy from the South. That's who my presidents were that I could remember in my life. Now, all of a sudden, I get a kind of young-looking African-American guy who is uh, very articulate and very, very interesting, and his his voice is kind of sing-songy. He has this great cadence about him. uh, And, of course, he had big ideas. Uh, Now, the main idea that got enacted by Barack Obama was the... um, was what they would go on to call Obamacare, which uh, had its ups and downs, right? Uh, Prior to Obamacare, um, you could be dropped from your insurance if you were too sick, which is like the ultimate irony. It's like, if you need the insurance too much, we're not going to give it to you. Uh, You could be denied coverage based on a pre-existing condition, whether that was a prior cancer battle or diabetes or whatever it may be. Um, now the, the one thing that came with the affordable uh, healthcare act that kind of sucked, uh, was the mandate, right? That if you didn't want to have insurance, you had to get it or you would be fined. Now, the idea behind that was a little bit idealistic that they thought, well, everyone should have and should want health insurance, but they never really asked themselves if, uh, their, their measures went far enough to help people afford it. And in a lot of ways, people in the middle class, it was kind of like, well, you have enough money to pay for health insurance. So uh, you have to pay for health insurance. And and that was probably the fatal flaw in that. Uh, of course, the Obama presidency also brought about uh, one of the more important moments in American history. Uh, and that was um, the killing of Osama bin Laden. SEAL Team 6 went in there and kicked some butt and they got the world's most hated and most wanted terrorist. Um, I don't really uh, love Obama. Like, dude, I'm willing to say that, but like, I don't really give him that much credit for that. I mean, that was our military uh, intelligence, and of course, it was the men on the ground who went in there and handled business in Islamabad. Uh, I'll never forget John Stewart doing a thing like Islamabad. Like, that sounds like the kind of name you make up when you don't know a name of any country in the Middle East. Uh, yeah, it's in a uh, you know freaking uh Islam- Islamabad. Um, uh, but yeah, so at the end of the Obama presidency, I mean, Obama versus, versus Mitt Romney, I thought was going to be a very interesting election. It turned out to not be people didn't want to change course. I mean, the economy was on its its, its way up after the crash of 08. And, uh, you know, thankfully the economy, the economy <laughs> uh, has been relatively robust from the time of the end of the Obama presidency through today. Uh, the, the economy's done very well. Uh, Americans are getting back to work. Um, uh, yeah. So in 2016, it was Hillary Rodham Clinton who, um, I don't know. I I have opinions on that. And, and, and it is, I think that Hillary Clinton is probably the most qualified person in the history of American politics to be president. Uh, but that doesn't mean that she would have been a great president. It just means that she had really more experience than anyone. And on the opposite side of the spectrum was the political outsider, Donald Trump. And and I laugh sometimes because I I look at how Obama in 08 a little bit was was similar to Donald Trump in the fact that they just upset establishment, right? That that there was one way that the political party that they went on to represent had always operated, uh, but they had a message that resonated with the populace, you know, with, with, with the majority of the people in their party, um, and they won the nomination, kind of against all odds. And then in the general election, each one of them went up against someone who was amazingly qualified to be president, uh, but who had some, um, you know, uh, some people had some reservations about it. People weren't getting Very few people, I feel like, were getting very enthusiastic to vote for for John McCain, you know. And then, obviously, on the Democratic side, in 2016, there was a lot of Democrats that felt as though Hillary Clinton... It was a little bit of, um, I don't know, people thought it was like nepotism. People thought that it was, you know, it was the party heading in the wrong direction because they were going with someone that represents an establishment from... 20 plus years ago. And they felt like the party had progressed well beyond her. Um, but in the case of both Barack Obama and, uh, now president Trump, uh, they both kind of came out of nowhere and they shocked the world and they became president. So, I mean, we're now heading on year, what is it, 11, year 12 of really unexpected people who are relatively inexperienced in the role that are trying to grow into it and that um, are trying to make things better for Americans. I mean, at the core, for as much as I disagree with and really flat-out dislike Donald Trump and the way he conducts himself, uh, I do believe that dating back to goodness, I, I mean... Most presidents over the past hundred years, I believe, were trying to do something positive for Americans. Now, what percentage of Americans would uh, their policies benefit? That's, of course, up for debate. Uh, but, yeah, I'm really excited for the prospect of voting again in, in one year. And I really hope my guy wins. Uh, again, I'm an adult. I'm willing to express myself. I think, and this is where you may disagree with me, I think it's the most cowardly An unintelligent thing in the planet to be like, oh, I don't talk politics or I don't like politics. It's like, bro, (laughs) there's very few things in the world that matter more than the direction of uh, our country and our government and and cynicism aside. Because I understand that, you know, people are bought and paid for or whatever. I just I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of picking a dog in a fight. It's not the hill you have to die on. Like I said, I, I really don't care. I used to care a lot more about who you voted for. I officially do not. I just am one of those people that's like, well, be as educated as possible and vote for the person whose ideals match up with yours the most. And cool, you've done your job as an American, right? We're not, we're not all paid to be uh, you know, political scientists. And we'll get into that a little bit uh, later when I talk about sports, right? That we can all enjoy the thrill of victory without um, understanding the intricate schemes of an NFL playbook, right? We can just, we can make our educated guesses and say, this is who we like and this is why we like them. And as long as that's coming from a place of honesty and sincerity and respect and uh, an understanding of history, I'm not going to fault you for it. So yeah, one year from now, man, I um, I really hope Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are against each other. Because again, you talk about um, political outsiders, <laughs> I mean, Bernie is basically an independent, uh, and and I really really do, uh, a lot of people will say the word socialism and get really scared, I think, in a lot of ways, and again, don't crucify me, this is just my opinion, Um, I think that a lot of those ideas are actually relatively smart economically. Uh, I think uh, harnessing the collective buying power of 350 million Americans when it comes to things like education and healthcare, which I don't know if I'd call them rights, but I would kind of... Call them needs that everybody in America needs those things. Uh, I don't think that that's. I don't think that those are industries that you play games with. I think that those are industries where you um, you find a way to help all Americans get access to that in the most affordable way possible. And in the same way that Barack Obama's Affordable Care Act kind of screwed the middle class, I think that we all know people that have a lot of money can easily afford health care in college, Uh, and people that have no money oftentimes have a lot of uh, opportunities given to them. Not given to them. I'm not saying like, oh, you know, they took our jobs kind of South Park crap. I'm just saying that a lot of times you can apply for a scholarship or get a lot of financial aid uh, if you don't have any money at all. It's kind of those people in the middle ground that uh, really feel the burden. It's well, you have. You don't have enough money to pay for it easily, uh, but you have too much money for us uh, to, to take care of it for you. And I think it's that way with both health care and with education. Uh, I mean, dude, I'll tell you right now, I pay a thousand bucks a month between my student loans and my health care. I'm self-employed. I have to pay out of pocket uh, $1,000 a month because I make just too much money to get help with either one of those things. Uh, now, me, I will have to pay back my student loans in full. I don't think they're going to cancel student loan debt. And even if they did at this point, it would be about, I don't know, twelve to $16,000 is what I think I still owe. Um, but I just think of future generations. I would like to see young people be able to buy houses and cars and invest in their homes and families uh, without feeling the burden of student loans or... Um, or, you know, the crippling burden of healthcare, right? Uh, we talked about the affordable healthcare act earlier and for all of its flaws, it means a lot to me. My mom had cancer twice in one year, uh, by all accounts, she would be, um, uninsurable if, uh, that, that, that law did not, uh, pass and God forbid she got cancer a third time. um, I shudder at the thought of what would happen, right? Uh, and I love the fact that my mom, who has had cancer twice, is still able to be covered and it's still covered at an affordable rate. Um, and I would like all people to have that right, uh, to have affordable and accessible health care. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's how I'll be voting next year, I think, probably. Let's see how the, how the next year shakes out. A lot of my Bernie love stems back to, like, 2016. Um, I haven't been as engaged this year to see if that's definitely my dude. Uh, and if Bernie is not the nominee, goodness, I, I don't know what I'll do. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll have to do a lot of research and a lot of soul searching to see exactly who I would vote for. But, but if in a year from now it's Sanders versus Trump, Yeah, I'll probably vote Sanders, like I said. And if if you ever privately want to have a serious and level-headed conversation about politics, I would love to. Uh, I have this whole thing I've been working on for a while now that I'm not going to release until just prior to next year's election um, about how uh, profitable um, quote-unquote socialism slash social programs are. Uh, But I want to make sure that it's all true, so I've been researching it nonstop, and I've hit certain hiccups, right, like, with any idea. Uh, I'm a firm believer in um, being, vetting ideas, and vetting ourselves, and vetting the things that we think about, right, really try and poke holes in it, and if it still holds water, you got a pretty good idea. So, um, that'll be next year, but always, I'm always interested to talk politics, and again, I just, I just, I just think presidential politics is so fascinating. Um, and part of the reason why I think it's fascinating, and I guess this will lead into number two on two count is, uh, seeing a new president elected is, um, seeing someone reach the top of the ladder, right? There is nothing in America that's really more powerful, at least in theory than being president. I understand being uh, maybe Jeff Bezos has probably more perks to the job than president does. But uh, when when a politician reaches the presidency, they're really kind of reaching the top of the ladder. And that that brings me into sports. Okay, Uh, Another thing that happened 11 years ago, right around this time to me personally, was... um, The Philadelphia Phillies won the World Series. Uh, You talk about a crazy week for me. I got to see the guy that I campaigned for uh, unofficially for four years uh, become president. My baseball team won the World Series. Also at that time, Halloween happened, and I was the joker that year. I was Heath Ledger's joker, and I like shaved my beard and cut my hair, and I I think I looked a lot like him. I won a couple costume contests. But it was really cool, man. I grew up in Philadelphia where I hadn't seen a championship in my lifetime. It had been over 20 years uh, since anybody in Philadelphia had won a championship in one of the four major sports. And uh, there was so much emotion for me as I watched the Phillies win that World Series. There was emotion for me uh, when they clinched the NL East. There was emotion for me when they made those improbable comebacks, and of course when the game finally ended and the Philadelphia Phillies were the world champions of baseball, uh, of course I was reduced to absolute tears. Now, I was kind of spoiled because about a decade later, we did get to see our football team win the Super Bowl again in a really improbable and impressive fashion with a backup quarterback uh, beating the greatest dynasty maybe in the history of sports. <laughs> um, but why? Uh, why do we love sports so much? Uh, there's some folks listening right now that may be from Washington D.C. They just got to experience a championship. Uh, congratulations to the Washington Nationals, who are the World Series champions a year after Bryce Harper walked away from them. So that stings a little bit as a Philly fan. Uh, but sports, man, uh, I'll tell you, uh, I got to win a championship <laughs> in the past couple of weeks. My girls at Archbishop Ryan High School in Northeast Philadelphia, uh, they went on to win the Philadelphia Catholic League Championship for soccer. Now, uh, these girls, uh, some of them, you know, I've crossed paths with in the halls or they've been my students or they will be my students next semester. Uh, All I've ever really done with them is just film a couple times, film a couple games and take a couple pictures But I wanted to be there at that moment to see them win the championship. I wanted to see them, you know, screaming and jumping and chanting and and see the emotion. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to be a part of that, and I think it's one of the reasons why we all love sports, is because in the spectrum of human emotion, uh, there's... There's peaks and valleys, there's no doubt about that, uh, but it's it's almost impossible to identify those peaks in the moment. I remember at the end of The Office when Andy Bernard says, oh my goodness, I wish that you knew uh, you were in the best of times. I knew, I wish, oh my goodness, what did Andy say? Nard dog. Um, <laughs> I wish that there was a way to know that you were, that you, you know... You were living the good times before they ended or whatever it was, right? And I think that happens a lot of times in life outside of those high water marks, like high school and college graduation or your wedding day or the birth of your child. Uh, it's hard to identify like this is one of the best moments of my life or this is one of the best days of my life. Uh, in addition to that, um, unlike you see in stories, uh, there's not a the end, right? Uh, you can... Um, you can get married, and then after that, you have to be married. <laughs> or you can graduate college, but then after that, you have to get a job. Uh, they don't roll the credits at the end and say, that's a wrap, folks. Uh, but for one season, in the little bubble, in the little microcosm that was the 2008 Phillies, or the 2019 Washington Nationals, or the 2019 Archbishop Ryan girls soccer team, uh, you start with a goal, you do the work, you uh, you play the games to the best of your ability, and if you win the final game of the season, you are the champion. You have reached the top. So even if you're not on the field, as obviously I was not because I'm 220 pounds and 32 years old, and the other day I had a run about 100 feet and nearly died, um, uh, to witness that. To share in that, to have hitched my wagon to that, to say that I'm going to connect my uh, emotional responses to the success and failures of this team um, and appreciate observing the joy that is uh, the end, right? That, that's what it is. It's the end. The girls won the PCL championship. Ta-da! We got the plaque. Uh, it's going up in the school. Uh, that World Series title that that the Phillies won 11 years ago, and the Nationals won, you know, 10 days ago. Uh, that is is forever. Your your trophy now. Of course, uh, all these teams will play again next year, but there's a whole bunch of different reasons why they're different teams. You know, free agency, graduation, in the case of my kids. Uh, but for that moment, uh, for that one day, you are the best. You've reached the top of the mountain. You are able to identify a peak in the emotional spectrum, uh, that is typically reserved for, like I said, very, very few days in our lives, graduations, marriages, births. Um, uh, so, so sports get to serve as this, this lovely, um, this lovely peak, this very identifiable. Here we are, we're at the top of the mountain. We did it signed seal delivered i am yours right and that's why i think that we love sports you know it's it's why we love storytelling in general uh we love the avengers we love i am iron man snap right (laughs) we love um bruce wayne with catwoman over in paris at the end of the dark knight trilogy um we love everyone we love all the hobbits hopping in bed with Frodo at the end of Return of the King, and uh, we all look very much forward to The Rise of Skywalker and how that movie's going to end. We went over the fact that the final shot in that movie is going to melt our minds, according to Kevin Smith. Uh, but the difference in those things is that they're that they're scripted. They're carefully calculated. They are filmed. They are edited. They are indeed fiction. Uh, whereas sports, uh, it is a... Um, it's 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 a parallel to reality. Uh, again, you know, we're not playing on the field or anything, but there's just as much magic that has to go into getting to that moment, as and there's just as much work as you know, like we said, graduating or or you know, uh, bringing a child into this world or you know, marrying your soulmate. Right, so many things had to go right. Uh, so many battles had to be won. Um, so many sacrifices had to be made and you made the right combination of all of those sacrifices and the hard work and the promises and, um, the, the, the teamwork that you made it, you made it to the end and you made it to the end alone as a team, as a couple, as, as a graduating class, uh, as a family. And those are the moments that we live for in this world, right? Uh, that's what I believe. I believe that those are the moments that we live for. So I always appreciate sports uh, because, you know, so many of us, it's not easy for, A, it's not easy, but B, a lot of those things don't repeat, right? You graduate high school and graduate college only once. If you want to get that feeling again, you got to sign up for that master's program, okay? Um you know, you only get married once, unless God only knows, right? Who knows what happens? Uh, you know that 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 first that first child that you welcome into the world. Uh, I'm not going to say the second one is any worse. I mean, I'm the third kid, and I'm the best. Uh, but um, yeah, sports we we get those peaks and valleys in emotion um, every year, and and we always just hope that our team our team gets to gets to experience it, and we get to experience it as well. So, um, yeah, congratulations to my girls, the PCL champions. I don't know where their journey's officially going to end because they do continue on uh, to higher levels of competition. But PCL was the goal. They got the job done. I was really, really proud to be a part of that. And like I said, it just reminds me of the 2008 World Series with those Philadelphia Phillies. Man, there were some amazing games. You figure it's a 162-game season. Uh, then they had to play, what, one, two, three series in order to win. So they had to get uh, another, uh, is it 12 wins or is it actually technically 11? Because is that one, Is that was that first series a five-game series or seven-game series? I don't even remember. Um, but yeah, man, sports It's just the best. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're worried about your football team or you're getting excited about your hockey or uh, basketball team or you play on your own team or you're already thinking about, you know, early spring next year, the MLB season, I do. I do. I do. I do. I wish you and your team the best because even if you're just a fan, uh, that journey to the top uh, and, and kind of, uh, borrowing and using those things as a surrogate if you will to for a peak for the finite amount of peaks the finite amount of times so that we get to reach the top of the mountain um yeah yeah we welcome sports into our lives to give us more access to those peaks more access to the emotion of reaching the top of the mountain and and I hope that if you never have, if your favorite team has never won the championship, I hope in the next couple of years you get the opportunity to witness it because it does. It feels absolutely amazing. And like I said, whether it's your local high school that uh, you know you've got a connection with, or you're in high school, or you're in college, or you just you know live in a city that's got a sports team, or maybe you like a team that's halfway across the country, I hope you get to experience that emotional high because God knows, man it's awesome so next up i want to talk about the mandalorian uh now a little bit of a disclaimer here and it's the opposite of a spoiler alert It is the fact that uh i found out the show was coming and i was all in and i've watched one and a half trailers for it, and that's all I needed. All right, Jon Favreau, the architect behind Iron Man, really the godfather of the MCU, is helming this live-action, the uh, first ever live-action Star Wars TV show, and it's about a freaking Mandalorian. I mean, come on, I'm all in. Uh, now, like I said, I don't even know characters' names. The only thing I know is it is set after the fall of the Empire. Uh, Will the show start out with the destruction of the of the Death Star? Will it be five years after, ten years after? I honestly do not know. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about what I want to see out of the Mandalorian. Uh, as you kind of heard in my Rise of Skywalker podcast, and in the the time that Sean and I crossed paths crossed paths on air, uh, my Star Wars fandom is just. Um, I would call it very average, okay? And the fact that I don't delve deep. I I don't know the names of blasters or the names of ships. I mean, I know the general Y-Wings and the A-Wings and the TIE Fighters and the X-Wings and all that. But, you know, when you get into the B-52, U-B, da-da-da-da-da, that defines this class of Empire General or Rebel Soldier, uh My brain just doesn't have enough bandwidth for that level of detail, but I do love watching Star Wars. I have a whole room in my house dedicated to Star Wars merchandise because I love the toys that much. Um, So what do I want to get out of The Mandalorian when it debuts on Disney Plus in a little bit over a week? Well, here's the one thing. I do not want it to make Star Wars any smaller. And what I mean by that is I don't need any cutesy-wootsy little nods to the past that retcon things. I'm not interested in that in Star Wars anymore. Uh, If anything, I want it to be the complete opposite. Okay, I want it to plant seeds for levels of mythology that we can build upon. I want there to be new things introduced into uh, Star Wars that I can get excited about within the context of The Mandalorian, right? I don't need every single episode for them to give us a wink and a nod and be like, and this is the origin story of Admiral Ackbar, like, or whatever, I, I don't need that in Star Wars, okay, I don't need the Mandalorian to, to add anything to the Star Wars mythology, um, no, 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 I'm not putting it the right way, uh, I don't need it to tidy up anything from the original Star Wars saga, if anything, I wanted to start pulling on new threads, uh, that we can, that we can untangle over the years. Okay, it doesn't need to serve as any semblance of a prequel to the new trilogy. I want this to be very independent. I want it to happen in the Star Wars universe. See, that that's almost what I loved about Rogue One. Is um, I felt like it was building out the Star Wars mythology more. But of course, the whole crux and jux, uh, the whole crux of <laughs> Rogue One is. Here's how we get the plans for the Death Star. That's what it all led towards. But I enjoyed going to new planets and learning new things about new people. Um, I don't need everything to say. And here's a new deep, dark secret that changes the context of the original trilogy. I just don't need that. Uh, If they want to continue on those stories in a way, that would be kind of cool. I mean, that's what I liked about Solo, right? Um... That uh, it continued Darth Maul's story. It, it didn't retcon it necessarily. Um, it, it it added to it, okay, in a, in a good and positive fashion. So so that's what I want to see out of the Mandalorian. Is I don't really need it to change anything in the original trilogy. Uh, I want that all to stay the same. If it adds a new layer to it of something that comes after it. It's that sounds good, but but I don't want them to retcon something that when I go back and watch the original trilogy, it's like, oh, well, no, this isn't this isn't true anymore or whatever, because, you know, what happened in the Mandalorian now? No, I just I just want a broader Star Wars universe. Now, with that said, I love the fact that I think I've seen in some trailers, there's carbonite. It's like, ooh carbonite. Like, I know that I saw Han Solo frozen in that. And it's kind of cool to see other creatures frozen in that. So, um, yeah, just, just flesh out the Star Wars universe more. Don't worry so much about fleshing out or adding to the Star Wars story. Uh, does that make sense? Do, do you kind of know what I mean? Like, I, I want to just know what more planets are like. I want to know what law and order is like. I want to know what politics are like in the Star Wars universe. I want to know what race relations are like. I think in the last trailer, I saw the Mandalorian fighting some of the same alien uh, creatures as uh, one of the bounty hunters, Bosk. Okay, um, that's cool. I would like to learn about Bosk's people. Now, I don't need a retcon to find out that he was like some sort of king or something. I mean, I guess it's not the end of the world if they add in layers like that. I, just, I don't want it to get too over the top. I don't want it to change the meaning or... Or more importantly, I don't want it to under undermine anything that I think I know about the original trilogy. If it adds to it, cool. Um, if it undermines it or creates like, uh, you know, we all look back on the prequels, right? And it's like it's not like the prequels were discovered; they were written. Meaning, anytime that the prequels contradict something from the re- like the original trilogy of Star Wars, it's so frustrating. It's like why would you do that? Like you already knew the ending. Why are you creating something that contradicts the way that it ends? You know, whether it's about, you know, he's too old to train or whatever. Um, next up, and I guess <laughs> maybe I'm contradicting myself here. Um, I really want Mandalorian season one to end. Uh, I'm totally fantasy booking this. This is the wrestling fan in me. Um I want to kind of fall in love with Mandalorian, whatever his name is. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. I don't know if we're going to find it out. I don't even know if we're going to see the guy's face. I don't even care. His costume is awesome. Um, I kind of wanted to end like with him at a bar being like, wow, that was some adventure, you know, and blah, 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 blah. I'm the last Mandalorian. And somebody would be like, uh, no, you're not. And be like, what? Yeah, I am. And be like, no, dude, there was a guy in here last week that had, like, green armor on that was just like yours. And be like, boom, Boba Fett. Like, I would love season two of The Mandalorian, assuming there will be one, to be focused on The Mandalorian versus Boba Fett. Okay, maybe I'm contradicting myself. Maybe that's way too much like the whole Darth Maul at the end of Solo thing. Um... But yeah, that, that, that's what I would kind of like to see out of The Mandalorian. Uh, other things I would like to see. I don't know who's doing the score for it, uh, but I really hope that the music is good. I wonder if I can actually find out real quick for you guys. Um, Mandalorian score. There was the one thing in the Rise of Skywalker trailer, and I don't know if I mentioned it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know if I mentioned it, um, but I loved the music that was in the trailer for Rise of Skywalker. That's one. Of, it's always been one of my favorite parts of Star Wars. It's kind of blown me away. Um, Who? Okay, fans shouldn't be worried because Oscar-winning Black Panther composer Ludwig. Agorinson—that is definitely not the way you say that. He's got the little umlaut over the o, so there's definitely a different pronunciation there. Is behind the score, um, and yeah, okay, sounds like he's the best man for the job. He did movies like Creed, Black Panther, Venom, not to mention uh, Trolls World Tour. Um, but he also has won a Grammy for his collaboration with Childish Gambino, who is, of course, Donald Glover, who uh, played, famously played Lando in uh, Solo. So, okay, this is cool. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is one badass composer. So um, the music, I think, in The Mandalorian is going to be really good. And I kind of hope that we get uh, one thing I love in movies is when we kind of have scores that are associated with a character. Of course, Star Wars is, like, the top with that. There's kind of the Leia score. There's the force score. There's very famously the Darth Vader and Imperial March score. Uh, I really want all of those musical cues in the Mandalorian. Uh, that will help it feel like star Wars to me because star Wars is a lot about the music. So, um, yeah, so, so those are some of the things that I want out of the Mandalorian. Now, uh, again, some things I don't want, um, I don't need too much retconning. If they want to finish off a character story, that sounds good. Um, I would like Boba Fett just because that seems to make sense. Um, I've never finished Rebels, so don't crucify me. Here's the deal with Rebels is I've enjoyed it so much. That I've I've saved it. It is my lifeline for after Rise of Skywalker. That if um, if Rise of Skywalker is as bad as the Last Jedi, and I feel like that my Star Wars fandom is going to peter out, I still have one last source of original Star Wars content that I have never seen before, and I will go ahead and I will revisit Rebels in its entirety after Rise of Skywalker. Whether I love Rise of Skywalker or not, that's what I'm doing. Uh, but that's kind of my last hope there. Um, but the Mandalorian race obviously has a rich history, and I wouldn't mind unpacking that a little bit more. Uh, I wouldn't hate the idea of introducing a kind of a whole new race of characters. That would be very cool. Um, right now, we kind of just, we know the Wookiees, and we know the Mandalorians, and we know uh, some some of the different creatures in Star Wars some. Um, but, yeah, I would I would like to know more about those races. I mean, I think about, uh, what's his name, Hammerhead. Uh, his his proper race name is eluding me right now. It starts with an I. Um, but, yeah, we know the Ewoks and the Jawas and, and creatures, man. Creatures are it for me. So it feels like we're going to get a lot of that in The Mandalorian, and that is a huge plus, no pun intended, for me, is that we are going to really see the diversity Um, of, of the star Wars universe, which from a narrative standpoint, that's awesome, right? It reminds us that that's one of the joys of space travel is every single person, you know, on this planet is a human being in real life, but in star Wars, because intergalactic travel happens, uh, The, 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 the immigrants, the people that migrate from planet to planet means you have all these different species. Some of these people bleed green and not red. And that's, that's, that's really cool. And then just from a production standpoint, I appreciate the fact that there was a creative person that sat down and said, okay, I'm going to make something not of this earth. I'm going to make something that is slimy or hairy or has a really long nose or a really long neck. Or I, I guess I guess not all creatures have exaggerated features, but you know what I mean. I love the idea that people get to be that creative and come up with brand new races because there's that part of me as a human that looks to the skies and says, "What is up there?" And the more that Star Wars introduces these crazy creatures, uh, the broader my multiple choice gets for what is out there in the universe, and how do they communicate, uh, and how do they how do they transport themselves? What are their intentions? Um, you know, some of these races and some of these species are are, are ancient, right? They they're very. Um, prehistoric some of them are very medieval some of them are very modern and then some of them you know modern I put in quotes modern for us Uh, and some of them are very futuristic right like when we went to that planet with the clones uh, it's not genosis oh man but you know like just everything there felt very like sterile it was a very scientific place in episode two Um, and I liked that. I liked experiencing that. And then, and then I liked going to, um, you know, Ray's home planet and we're back in sand and we're back in this melting pot of disgusting creatures and sandstorms and, you know, an Imperial graveyard. So that's what I'm looking for out of the Mandalorian is just the visuals of it all. Um, there's that IG 88 looking character. I think he's maybe IG 11. I want to say, uh, Maybe we find out a little bit more about how those machines are created, how their identity is defined as robots, okay? Um, I wouldn't hate understanding more about the droids. Uh, You know, C-3PO and R2-D2 obviously have some degree of a personality. I wouldn't hate the idea of having a conversation in canon about how the artificial intelligence of these droids is developed, That might be something cool to kind of sneak into to to the Mandalorian. So, all in all, um, I hate to say this, but I think Mandalorian is going to be a slam dunk. I really do. I remember right before Daredevil debuted, I was a little bit like hesitant. I'd seen so many superhero movies, but they were they were so. formulaic at that point that i didn't know how they were going to tell a multi-hour story focusing on one superhero who's a little bit more grounded in reality than let's say iron man um so i think to, i think to myself you know how are they going to do this in a tv show and then is the force going to be involved uh so to what degree are we going to have these 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 Imperial folks, whether whether it's the Empire or whether it's the Dawn of the First Order, Uh, of course we've got Gus from Breaking Bad in it. Uh, That was a revelation that Sean told me about in our last podcast together. So uh, that is a guy who he he can he can be evil, and that's awesome. But by the same token, uh, director Krennic and Rogue One—they didn't really do anything with him, despite the fact that that actor is fantastic. But But I have a lot of faith in Jon Favreau, and I really think The Mandalorian is going to be a tremendous amount of fun. I haven't figured out how I'm going to watch it yet. Uh, If you remember for Stranger Things, I took a couple weeks to watch it. I really wanted to kind of uh, enjoy it, knowing that there would be 12 to 18 months to two years between Stranger Things 3 and 4. Um, so uh, I don't know how I'm going to watch the Mandalorian yet. You know, I I don't know if I'm going to save all the episodes and watch them in one sitting just down the road. Uh, when I have a little bit of time to actually enjoy it and I'm not so bogged down with work. I don't know if I'm going to watch them all in one, you know, all the available episodes in one sitting. I I don't know. Um, but (laughs) it's going to be a good one. And I really hope that you guys all enjoy it. maybe Maybe that's actually a really good thing. Greg and Greg and I had talked recently about how me, him, uh, Sam, and of course, Sean have to get together and do a podcast. Uh, maybe we get together and we do like a Mandalorian roundtable, a wrap-up in a couple of weeks. That's kind of my proposal to you guys, Greg and Sean and Sam. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll figure it all out together. Uh, but but guys, that's it for three count, which means um I'm recording in order. I haven't had any major hiccups, which means I don't really need to edit all that much. So I'm gonna go ahead and take a little break here, get a drink of water, go kiss my lovely cat amigo because he's the best in the world, and we're gonna come back with uh kind of maybe a little bit of an abbreviated uh but God only knows because I, I I never really hold true to my timing here uh, but i'm gonna play some tj kong and the atomic bomb songs for you in their entirety um we're gonna talk about that man how much i love them and express some gratitude regarding um, them letting me use their music for the beginning and end of my podcast all righty talk to you guys in one second
1: don't forget to tune in this friday for a new episode of we podcast and we know things And next week for MRC Tech Presents, The Last Podcast.
0: So I'm going to preface this part of this, uh, this part of the show with um, two things, two things that I completely, totally do not understand. And the first of which is music in general. I literally do not understand how music is composed. I don't know if you start with the lyrics. Uh, The guy that's banging on the drums, I don't know how he knows to do those things in that order at that tempo to make the things sound good. Uh, And I certainly do not know how the guy with the guitar knows how to strategically place his fingers on certain strings and uh, strum in a certain way and in a certain order uh, to create the music that comes to my headphones on a daily basis through the likes of rainbow kitten surprise uh the drums the vaccines dr dog uh, and of course the band i want to talk about tj kong and the atomic bomb I, i truly do not understand how music is composed i think it's basically just magic uh It's it's a completely different language to me, and someday, somewhere along the line, because I've got friends that have master's degrees in music composition, I will be able to understand exactly how they do what they do. Um, Now, the second part of this that I do not understand is fame, right? Uh, I know this is going to sound really goofy, but I work uh, a little bit in marketing, and uh, there's these things that I do that I put out there that go insanely Uh, viral. They do exceptionally well. Uh, Of course, I'm by no means and by no stretch of the imagination famous, Um, but there's people out there that are, that are famous, that are massively successful, that have reached the top of their fields, Uh, whether it's a toy unboxing or uh, worldwide rock stars that sell out stadiums. Uh, I think it's a fascinating thing to try and grasp um, and not just how fans connect with content, uh, but the path at which, uh, the path at which the water flows, if you will, right. When you go from, um, okay, there is nothing I'm going to create something and I'm going to share it with the world. Uh, the path of the water flows between the time that it is shared and the time that it is, um, later embraced by hundreds of millions of people. Uh, so with that said, T.J. Kong and the Atomic Bomb uh, actually is kind of continuing my crazy random theme here of like 2008-ish, right? I guess it was maybe closer to 2007 that I discovered T.J. Kong and the Atomic Bomb. Uh, I'm honestly trying to do like girlfriend math. I don't know about you, but I oftentimes think like, okay, did I see that band with that girlfriend or with that girlfriend? Um, so it was sometime around uh, 2007, 2008 that I discovered TJ Kong and the atomic bomb. Definitely by 2008, I knew who they were because I actually had them play my 22nd birthday party. We like threw a little concert for my birthday party, which was kind of cool and kind of fun. Um, and again, TJ Kong was one of my favorite bands at that time. So to get them to come and play, um, it was, it, was, it was awesome. Now, they are called T.J. Kong and the Atomic Bomb. They're a Philadelphia-based band, and I'm not a stranger to who they are. When they started out as a simple two-piece, uh, it was two gentlemen. Um, I don't know if, if they care if I share their names, but it was basically what I saw as T.J. Kong, the lead singer, and the Atomic Bomb, the drummer. Uh, I actually went to high school with the drummer. It's, a high, it's the high school I work at now that we both went to. Uh, And their music kind of had this cool, lo-fi grittiness. It was kind of at the dawn of folk music. Uh, People like... Mumford and Sons hadn't hit it uh, big really yet at that time, so it was kind of something brand new. I mean, you think about the musical journey that I've been on in my life, and it probably started with hair bands, thanks to my sister, and then it went to grunge music in the early 90s. Uh, The mid-90s was just a free-for-all of random pop music, everything from TLC to No Doubt um, to... Uh, later uh, boy bands, which of course I wasn't allowed to admit that I liked, but every single time that their music came on, I was like, bye, 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 I'm all into it. <laughs> um, followed by, of course, the rise of whatever the heck we call, was it new Metal Rock? Is that what we called uh, Kid Rock and Limp bizkit I was hardcore into those guys, of course. Uh, there's always... There's the stalwarts of the, of the music community like Foo Fighters and Pearl Jam, the guys Green Day, Weezer, uh, that have kind of transcended time. They've had success from the uh, early to mid-90s all the way through to today. Um, you know, then the early 2000s, I started to get into a lot of jam-bam music. Uh, the thing that really opened up the doors, I always loved the Grateful Dead, uh, and I started to enjoy Fish in high school and, of course, in college. But it was a band like OAR. Um, if you know OAR, you know that they stand for Of Revolution. What's really funny is, uh, and again, we're talking about the Wild West of music downloading and CD burning at that time as my sister came home from college in 99 or 2000, maybe 2001. And she said, I have this song I need to play for you. And it was OAR's Crazy Game of Poker. Now what's funny is because we didn't know anyone that uh, knew who OAR was at that time, uh, this Crazy Game of Poker song to us was sung by a band named Orr. We just thought they were called or because O-A-R spells OAR. <laughs> uh, so that was music I was into then. And, you know, a lot of my indie stuff, if you follow me on Spotify, I'm still into today. But the very first time that I heard TJ Kong and the Atomic Bomb, I was pretty blown away. I think that um, uh, the thing that I enjoy most about them is a lot of times it takes me a while to figure out what their songs are even about. To this day, I don't know what some of them are about. Uh, they loop in some epic, epic, epic storytelling. But again, a lot of that came in the latter portion of their their musical creation. Uh, straight Out the Gate, when it was just drums and a guitar, they were putting out music like uh, Come On Back and Idiots, which I'm going to play... Uh, Let's play Come On Back for you. All righty, here we go. This is the song called Come On Back. So that was Come On Back by T.J. Kong and the Atomic Bomb. That's a song that, according to my computer, uh, I added it to my hard drive in November of 2008. Uh, the thing I love about that song and a lot of T.J. Kong's music is, again, if you really listen to it, it sounds like he's trying to tell you a story. It sounds like a friend that is really It doesn't sound like music, right? There's so much music that's manufactured, and trust me, there's nothing wrong with quote-unquote manufactured music when they say, okay, here's the chorus, here's the verse, here's the chorus, here's the verse, we repeat this, we do this, we bring this back, so on and so forth. But when I listen to TJ Kong and the Atomic Bomb, I really just feel like I'm listening to a friend telling me this story because things like treehouses built in Baltimore, uh, I don't know exactly what that means. And it's not something that I can directly identify with. I can't say, oh, yeah, I had a girlfriend that had a treehouse built in Baltimore. I don't actually know what that metaphor is, but there are certain things in there when he says things like... Um, you know, I tried to write you a letter, but my mind was crippled with metaphor Then I'm like, oh yeah, man, I know that you can't find the words when you really got to talk to someone. So there's things in there that we identify with, but there's also things in there that I find incredibly uh, unique. I do. And, and again, I don't know the first thing about music composition, but it feels like that there's a intentional disregard for um, the normal music composition rules, if you will. There's a blatant disregard for those kinds of things. I mean, that drum doesn't kick in until a minute and a half into the two-minute song, and then it's just 30 seconds of it banging. Uh, But it all works, and it all fits. Uh, So that was a song off of what I have labeled the Blue Sessions. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Again, we're talking about a time here that kind of predates the clean and tidy interactions of something like, let's say... Spotify. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and so that song was only about two minutes. Looking at the file sizes of these other songs, uh, this next one's going to be a little bit longer. Oh, here's a great one, and it's probably going to be familiar to most of you, but this is the outro music to this. Uh, Now, this is off the uh, Hinterlands EP. (laughs) Uh, This was kind of the first official music that TJ Kong put out, at least on Bandcamp. Uh, it was a three-track EP. Um, we'll I'll play some of the other music from that for you, um, but different versions of it. When I get to Idiots, which is like their next their next album here. Um, so uh, this is the uh, uh, Cantankerous Old Man. Can, eh cantankerous old men. Okay. Uh, this is the outro music. Uh, there is some minor language. It runs for about five minutes and 13 seconds. So, uh, let's go ahead and listen to the complete song of, uh, the outro music to this very podcast. If you notice, I always cut it off when it says, um, uh, like, uh, he looked at me and he said, um, cause again, that's where the language comes in, but let's enjoy this five minute and 13 second song. Uh, really off of the first official EP from T.J. Kong and the Atomic Bomb from uh, early 2009. So that song was released on February sixth, two thousand and nine, at least according to Bandcamp. Um, so the next T.J. Kong album that would come out, uh, and I own I own them. So let me just uh, take a peek here, real quick. Uh, I believe it's Idiots, okay, and that uh, the EP that they had released is really only um, a handful of songs. So Idiots came out. Uh, about a year later, uh, May 7th of 2010, and that had on it 10 songs, Uh, so I'm actually going to play for you uh, another familiar tune, Uh, and this is the Trail of the Lonesome Hobo, Uh, but it's L-O-M-E-S-O-M-E. I don't know if that is intentional or not, but again, This one's going to sound familiar to you. Uh, They released a version of this on one of their other albums, but uh, this version is nice and polished and beautiful to the point that I used it for the intro of this podcast. Uh, So let's go ahead and give a listen to this tune. So you can really hear the beginning of their transformation just over a few years. Like I said, it looks like they started in 2008. Uh, they released some music in 2009. Uh, and that was an album from 2010. Um, and the production values increased significantly there's a lot more layering in there, uh, we hear a lot more instruments, uh, and it just has a more robust sound. Now, I'm not quite sure if this is where uh, Mr. T.J. Kong and Mr. Atomic Bomb uh, added in a few friends, uh, but I do know for certain that their next album that was released in 2012, September 2012 called Manufacturing Joy, uh, yes, uh, they had grown in numbers significantly. Now, you may be listening to this and thinking, like, what kind of cool filter do they put uh, Mr. TJ Kong's voice through? Uh, none Uh, that is the way that he sounds when he sings that is the way he sounds when he talks Uh, it's really kind of amazing Uh, now not to really uh, go over the top here with my man crush on this band but uh, the one thing I love about the two original guys is they're both like six foot something like they literally just look like giants among among men um (laughs) yeah, <laughs> they just, they look like rock stars, dude. They're absolutely incredible. Uh, so I've debated, uh, significantly here what song to play for you off of their 2012 record manufacturing joy. And I'm actually going to kick it off with, uh, the first song on the album, Rock and Roll Club Bathroom Cocaine Blues. (laughs) Now, I know this is usually a family-friendly show, and I hope that we can excuse away uh, references to uh, whatever the case is. I don't need to repeat anything. Uh, But really, um, I I truly love this band. If you're enjoying them, you want to go get some of their music right now. uh, All of the albums, almost all the albums that I've discussed here, that's the EP, uh, that is the album Idiots, that is manufacturing joy uh that is their their two next albums which i will play some music uh for you from uh, they're all available on bandcamp it is tj kong and the that's the word and the atomic bomb.bandcamp.com you can log on there pay for some music uh it is totally worth it um so at this point tj kong had taken a layoff of a little bit over two years. And I went to go see them live a whole bunch of times. And as I said, I got to be friendly with them. They've always been great to me. As I said, I've known the drummer since high school and the lead singer. Uh, I just I got to know him as a fan of his music. Um, but so when I put on this album, uh, it was 11 brand new songs and I hadn't really heard uh, a lot of TJ Kong in a long time. Uh, this opening, uh, it kind of builds to a crescendo. Uh, and I remember driving. I was just south of the sports complexes on i-95 and i started to play this song for the first time ever and you wouldn't believe it but it kind of like smacked me in the face and i was like borderline emotional because i just it just felt so uh it was just like welcoming back music that i truly loved and i hadn't heard any new music from them in two years so to hear a new original creation there was just something awesome about it i remember like pulling over right by the airport And um, I was like, I had like tears streaming down my face, uh, which was crazy. Again, I don't even know why I had that emotional reaction to it, Uh, but a police officer pulls up behind me and I'm like, what the heck? And he gets out. He's excuse me, sir. If you're waiting for someone to get off of a plane, you're going to have to pull into the cell phone lot. And I have tears coming down. My face as rock and roll club bathroom. Cocaine blues is blaring from my car. And he was just like, are you okay? I was like, I don't even know why I'm like, so like into this. I'm like, It's a band, and I love this band, and they're amazing, and uh, I'm such a weird person. Uh, So here's rock and roll club Cocaine Blues, also available on Bandcamp, and again, this is off of their 2012 record.
1: It's five o'clock in the morning or so, the vagabonds assume, and the sun is like a swimming pool for the
0: Yeah, so uh, as you heard again, uh, the scope of what they do has expanded. You heard a violin in there. Uh, it looks like actually there's album notes here. I might as well give some shout outs to some people. Um, all right, so Dan and Dan vocals, uh, vocals and guitar, uh, drums and yelling. As I said, Dan and Dan started the band. They added in guys like Kevin Connor, uh, they added in Joshua who uh, is featured on the album artwork of Dancing Out the Door, their 2017 album. seems like the violin here was Bonnie Lander. Um, They had some backup vocals uh, from Claire uh, Abrabat. Did I get that right? Who knows? (laughs) Um, uh, Cover photo of this album is like a girl in a sprinkler with a hula hoop, and I don't know, it always made me smile. Uh, But it's by Sarah Cassano. So uh, that's pretty awesome, man. And like I said, you can tell with uh, somebody that really enjoys this band and had been listening to them at that point for, you know, close to five years, uh, that is a heck of a way to kick off an album and it just gets better from there. Uh, there's nine, there are 10 more songs that follow that. Uh, so the next album they put out was a little bit less than two years later, and it was just called Kong. Uh, this is a 5 al- five-song like EP, I guess you would call it. Um, and here they really enter into uh, a really badass uh, new level of uh, of rock and roll. I mean, they've always been good, but but this is this is this is really enjoyable. Again, I'm gonna, actually gonna play you the first song on the album, which is "Don't Come Home, Pretty Woman." I lied. I started to play Don't Come Home, Pretty Woman, and it's really good, but then I remember Dynamite was on this album, Uh, so we're going to play Dynamite. Uh, This is track number four off the album Kong, which was released in 2014, March of 2014. So here we go. Here's TJ Kong and the Atomic Bomb from the album Kong, Dynamite. (laughs) Dynamite.
1: downstairs to the streets, you babe, with your lily pad lies and sack lunch parade. Plan out the truths that you spout and you chew and fan out your troops like a motorcade. I know why your hair is down this morning. It's a coming of age You sympathize with your unfettered eyes But you don't see how I pay to play Or oh, the pain in my hand is from charred in the flame And the dust on my coat, that's from dynamite Feed us awesome. one
0: So the good news about that album is that it is available on Spotify. You don't even have to purchase it. If you have Spotify, you can just look up TJ Kong and the atomic bomb. Uh, And Kong, the five-song EP, is available on there. Uh, In addition to that, the most recent TJ Kong album, uh, which came out in October of 2017, so it's about two years ago, uh, it is called Dancing Out the Door. uh, And it is a 13-song record that, in my opinion, should be listened to in quality headphones very loudly, beginning to end in order at this Time. uh, The band is Dan, Dan, Josh, Josh. Olmstead, uh, yeah, yeah, I think I got that right. Uh, then there's a couple other guys that contributed to that, but all the music is written and arranged by Dan, aka TJ Kong, as I will kind of always call him. Uh, this album was recorded right here in Pennsylvania, as almost all of their music has been. Uh, and I have debated, uh, for quite some time here as what song to play you because I think they're all pretty darn good. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play you a little short song that is 2 minutes and 39 seconds, and it is called uh, John Wilkes Booth. Now, part of the reason why I'm playing this song for you is it holds a very special place in my heart in the fact that when uh, the number 7 seed Archbishop Ryan High School, my boys, uh, defeated number 2 seed Judge in soccer, uh, there was an incredible celebration afterwards that, again, I was an honor to be uh, a part of. Uh, and it was great to capture that moment of the kids really going wild to me, and being so happy and so excited. Uh, you know, out in Green Bay, there is the Lambo Leap. Um, well, this was <laughs> something kind of just like that, where the kids all ran off the field and they ran and they jumped into the stands. And again, if you didn't get a chance to see that, uh, I encourage you to go to uh, my school's Instagram, check out our IGTV, uh, and you'll be able to see that there, which is a great moment. Uh, but when I was trying to figure out what music to put to it, I decided I was going to, of course, use music that I quote unquote had the rights to use. Uh, As a matter of fact, actually I asked the band after I posted the video and they said, no problem, Rye. We like you. So here is John Wilkes booth. But again, this is from dancing out the door, which is available on Spotify album came out about two years ago. And it is, uh, it's one of my favorite albums. So listen to it beginning to end. I'm going to play John Wilkes booth. We'll come back to a little wrap up and then we'll get out of here
1: Side is pouring right off of your black boots tonight, and the sight of your lima bean teeth could not frighten me back, 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 back to the old. like John Wilkes Booth, bring a tear to your eye, you make Tom Wolf cry, tears on his white suit, and the bright, 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 bright disdainful inside is pouring right off of your black boots tonight, and the sight of your lima bean, teeth could not frighten me back, back.
0: So that's it. That is 10 years of TJ Kong and the Atomic Bomb. Uh, I have it on good authority that they are actually working on a new album of cover songs that will be coming out early in 2020. If you want to see them live, unfortunately for you and for I, you just missed their Halloween show. They did it 10 years in a row, and don't you know, somehow, some way, but story of my life, I was busy for all 10 of them. I had prior work commitments, was never able to make it out to see one, uh, but fortunately, I I do know that they're playing uh, They're they the opening act of a show that's happening here in Philadelphia at the TLA on New Year's Eve. And considering the fact that I am not one for New Year's Eve at all, uh, I'm going to go ahead and um, uh, enjoy that and probably head to that concert. I'm going to see if it's sold out, see how much tickets are. Don't even know if I'll stick around for the main act, uh, bless their souls, but TJ Kong Live is quite the experience. And I really hope that um, in sharing this music with you, uh, you were able to enjoy their music as much as I do. Really, at the end of the day, like I said, I don't understand music and I don't understand fame, uh, but the reality is I think that T.J. Kong and the Atomic Bomb is one of the best bands I've ever heard. The stuff they put out is kind of like magic. I hope you heard it in this little sampling of music, and I hope that you listen to it, uh, that you purchase some of their music from T.J. Kong and the Atomic Bomb dot bandcamp.com. I hope you, uh, listen to them on Spotify and I hope you share it with a friend because I really feel like that they should be exceptionally well known. Uh, but you know, they just do their thing. They put out their high quality music and, uh, yeah, I mean, hey, if, if they're happy, I'm happy for them. But I'm just trying to do my part here and share TJ Kong and the Atomic Bomb with the world. I'm going to leave you with one more song here. Its name is eluding me. Uh, I don't necessarily, uh, I don't want to pause here and um, and go back and try and, uh, and figure it all out. But I'll look at my Spotify, see exactly what it is, and I'll share it with you. Uh, I think it's a good way to end this podcast today. You're not going to get the, the usual sign off because you already heard that song. But yeah, this Friday, check out Greg and Sam with We Podcast and We Know Things. Those guys have just been killing it. I mean, uh, I absolutely adore what they do. I love the news that they deliver. I love how they deliver it. I love the rapport that they have. I love their uh, that they're living in the 19154 along with me. Uh, and of course, next week, check out my, uh, my Tuesday Brethren. Uh, that is uh, his brethren, plural. Should it just be my Tuesday brother? Uh, whatever it is, it's Sean with The Last Podcast. And uh, I'm sure he's going to give you a little bit of Mandalorian talk. Because of course he is. Because he is the king of all things Star Wars. He is rocking. He is rolling. He's got a new merch store set up. I can't wait to add some of his merch to my uh to my closet uh love that guy absolutely so uh that's it let's play some more tj kong the atomic bomb let's get out of here and remember my friends be great be grateful
1: she's trying you for trees and she got someone on the side she got someone on the way she's always got something else something else to say in a moment she is gone like a whisper through the trees i just wish she'd come on back to town and bring me back my keys would you please You I see it all used up and all dressed down Getting drunk on the sidewalk, sleeping on the ground She got a head like a motorcycle bust all around Eyes like a desert and a body like a drought She's the highway through my boys heading for the south A padlock suitcase sitting on the couch And you know what she don't want? You don't know what she'll allow She got 27 armadillo jackets back in town In a moment she is gone Like a whisper to town and bring me back my keys, would you please?